For thousands of years, people have questioned what happens in the afterlife. What happens when we die? Is there an eternal existence? Can I prepare for the afterlife? Or was my fate predestined when I was born? We will discuss what the Bible says about the afterlife on today's edition of The End Time Show. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. I do thank you very much for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. You know, it's a question that's on everybody's mind. What does the future hold? I mean, we talk about the prophecies all the time, and we have to. We talk about world government, things that will happen in the near future, and really that are being put together right now, world government the world religious system, precursors to the mark of the beast, central bank digital currencies, uh, global digital IDs, retinal scans, facial recognition photographs, fingerprints, palm readers in grocery stores, and many different things. The leading up to this peace agreement that will be signed that marks the beginning of the final seven years. World War III, one of the next things to occur on God's prophetic timeline. I mean, we all want to know what does the future Hold. But in the grand scheme of things, think about this, everybody. I, in, in August of this year, I will be 55 years old. Think about where you're at. And in the grand scheme of things, I may if I live to be 100, that's still just a vapor. That's just a vapor. When it comes to eternity and eternal existence, 100 years is nothing. And so if I have one year left or if I have 20 years left, what does the future hold for me? Not just here on the earth, but what I'm looking at is through spiritual eyes. What does the future hold for me for eternity? This is a question that everybody listening to me needs to ask yourself. And many of you probably already have. But for those of you that that's not even on your radar, what happens out into eternity? I know a lot of people that I deal with, the emails and questions and different things we get. Yes, I do love to get deep into all the prophecies and figure out every little nuance and every scripture. And what, is that, what, what did the writer mean when he said that? And, and what's, what is that symbolic of? Or is that even symbolic? Yes, I love all that stuff. However... The grand scheme of the Bible, the thesis of the Bible, is your relationship with God and your relationship with your fellow man. And these two things are preparing you for your eternal existence. Okay? So I want to talk about that today because many people are just scared out of their mind. The Bible says in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Well, fear of what? Uh, fear of the stock market crashing, fear of uh, this great global economic collapse, fear of um, food rationing or the running out of gas. 
I mean, what are they afraid of? Well, that, the Bible's talking about in the end time, men's hearts will fail them for fear because of societal conditions. But I believe the main reasons is because people are afraid of dying because they don't know what's coming on the other side when they walk through that doorway, which everyone on earth listening to me will either go one of two ways. So let, let's talk about that because it's very, very important. And the Bible gives us the answers to this, by the way. And that's what we're going to be covering today. According to Scripture, every human being from Adam and Eve until now, and that will ever live. Now, I know about Enoch and Elijah. Those were uh, total anomalies in the grand scheme of all this, right? God just took them. But for the rest of us, we're, from Adam and Eve, from, from then on, we're going to leave this earth by one of two ways. You're either going to go by way of the grave, or you're going to be taken in the rapture. And then after that, then what? And, you know, there are theories, uh, they just abound at what the afterlife will be like. You know, Hindus and Buddhists, they believe in some form of um, like a reincarnation. They may come back as a, a cow or something. There's, there are cattle in India that are sacred because they believe it, it may be one of their ancestors. Muslims and Zoroastrians, they believe in a, in a good place called paradise and a bad place called hell. Christians believe in an eternal uh, destination, which would be either heaven or hell. So, and there are many others. I'm just not going to take time to go through all of them, but people just believe in all kinds of different things after this. There are others that even claim there is no such thing as an afterlife that we all will just spend, give it, have an eternal existence in a cold grave somewhere. So, what do you think? That's one question. And I'm going to be asking a bunch of perplexing, perplexing questions this afternoon because I want to, I want to kind of uh, rattle your cage a little bit. Because some people, the, all they're worried about is who's going to win the next football game, the next NFL, uh, Super Bowl. Who's going to win the next NBA championship? Um, you know, can I get the next bigger boat or the bigger car? I'm just working my life to... Uh, Get this giant house that I want. You know, what, what's, what's your goal? What, what are you trying to achieve? Well, I can tell you what I'm trying to achieve. I'm trying to make sure I'm prepared for eternity, that my family is prepared for eternity, and that my friends, family, and my, my entire sphere of influence is ready to meet the Lord should they go by the way of the grave or should they go by the way of the rapture. I had a cousin that passed away last evening. My mom called me earlier this morning and was telling me, one of my cousins, I haven't talked to him for years and years and years, he passed away suddenly in the night last night. And it just got me to thinking about where is he right now? Because he's in his, he started his eternal existence Sometime last evening. Do you understand what I'm saying, everybody? 
And whether you go by way of the grave or you meet the Lord when He comes at the time of the rapture, where will you spend, when you, when you cross over that threshold, what will you be walking into? Where will you spend your eternal existence? And so, yes, this afternoon we will we'll ask some questions that are going to get you to thinking because you only have one shot at this, this life, and then we're going to go off into our eternal existence. And I want to make sure that you have had the opportunity to make yourself ready for that. And we're going to talk about that. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say about that eternal existence? They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 in time. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. Welcome back, everybody, and we're going to talk more about this um, at the afterlife. What happens? What does the Bible say about the afterlife? I know it's a, a question on a lot of people's minds, but let me mention the Israel tour that we're going to go on, May 17th through the 28th. M uh, my wife tells me that we have between 60 and 70 now signed up. Many people inquiring. People are saying, I'm, I'll, I'll get back with you. Let me get with my husband. And, and so um, I want to tell you, though, we are sitting at March 6th, and she's going to have to ticket, turn all the names in on April 4th. So now we're less than a month before we have to ticket. So everybody that's been calling and saying, hey, I want to go, I'll get back with you, uh, now's the time because that, the, all that we have left is, what, 25 or 30 seats, somewhere in there. And so uh, maybe, maybe there's just over 30. That's all we have left. We're only going to take 100. 
and we're between 60 and 70 now signed up already. Um, so I know how it goes. I've been on many of these trips. Everybody wants to call the last day and say, can you get me in? And my wife's like, she's had to tell many people, I, we, I can't, we're full. And so certainly don't want that to happen to you. If you want us to go, you want to go with us, we want you to go. It's a great time. We'll see all the main sites. Check this out. We'll see, um, stand on the Mount of Olives. We'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Kidron Valley, Bethlehem. Uh, we'll go to the Shepherd's Fields in Bethlehem. It's so cool. The Temple Mount, the Western Wall, Rabbinical Tunnel, the Garden Tomb, Beth Shean, the big city that they uncovered, uh, the Southern Steps of the Temple Mount, the Dead Sea, Masada. We're going to do all that. The Temple Institute, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and the Jordan River, and man, it's and actually much more. That's not all of it, but. Anyway, if you'd like to go with us, May 17th to the 28th, you've got to get registered very soon. Uh, no vaccines are necessary or else I wouldn't be going. I haven't been vaccinated. And so all of it's completely open. And a lot of people are going to Israel right now. Um, and so it, the tourism is really increasing. So make sure you get in on these trips because these first few trips, there, uh, there's not as many as there will be. Let's say by the time next year and the year after that, it's going to explode. And so... The trip we went on in October, many times we were the only bus at the site. Think about that. And so it it's, makes for really, really good tourism right now. So if you'd like to go with us, uh, you got to sign up quick, though, because she's got a ticket on April the 4th. Okay, so back into my topic here, the afterlife. What happens after we die? You know, it's, um, it's no surprise uh, to some people that as many as 18% of those that are brought back to life after a heart attack uh, that, or, or that anybody that's had like a near-death experience. I've done a little research and um, that they have talked about, you know, hey, uh, uh, there is something. I saw a bright light or a tunnel. And, you know, it's, it, it's, I'm not surprised by that. Maybe God was trying to wake that individual up. Say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, you know, I, I don't doubt but what they might have had an experience like that because that may be the one way God could say, look, your time's really close and you could have just went and, you know, you were knocking on the door. And I, I know a lady who had a, a specific experience like that, a very reputable lady that said, uh, I, I dreamed of an angel carrying me to the door. She was very sick and the angel picked her up in a vision that she had carried her to death's door where they were going to walk through. And when the door opened, she said they were singing the most beautiful song and it sounded like the most beautiful music she had ever heard. And then the angel looked at her. He, the angel had her in his arms and he said, it's not your time to go yet. And he took her back and laid her on the bed. The door shut and she woke up. Now, very real experience. And the, ver the lady's very, very credible. And so it was a vision that God showed her. I have more for you to do. So to others, there's the idea that human consciousness and the body can exist distinctly from, uh, from each other. To others, that seems very unscientific. No, that's absolutely not possible. But listen to me, God can do anything. However, if, if there is no existence beyond the grave, then... Millions of people throughout history, from the pharaohs of Egypt to Jesus of Nazareth, then they have been um, totally deluded, right? Because they've all talked about it. And of course, 
The only one I hold to is Jesus and what the Word of God says. So the fact is, according to the Bible, everyone listening to me today will spend eternity somewhere. You will have an eternal existence. It's not just a cold grave for out eternity. That's not how it works. And I'm going to give you some scriptures for this. But think about this. Death, walking through death's door, cannot be avoided by exercise. I know a lot of people just, they're, they're 50 and they want to be 18 again. And man, they're just hitting the gym and swimming and running and you can do anything you want to do. You might look better and you might, you might um, feel better for a while. But there's going to come a time when you're going to be 95 and I don't care how much you go to the gym, death's going to come knocking on the door. There, there's not a diet, there's not meditation, there aren't, there's no pills, surgery, the next genetic discovery or anything else. There will come a time, unless you go in the rapture, that everybody listening to me will knock on death's door at some point. And you say, wow, this is a kind of morbid topic. No, no, it's not. I'm trying to, I'm trying to wake some people up that this is not even on their radar. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. You may walk to that door and knock on that door this evening, or you may knock on that door five years from now, or you may make it all the way to the rapture. But I want, I want to kind of, of um, wake you up, shake you by the shoulders and say, listen, let's make sure we're getting ready to meet the Lord. Whether He comes and gets us tonight, or, and he, you know, not the rapture, because I know the rapture's a while off yet. But I'm saying, should something happen, not all, none of us are promised tomorrow morning. Now, I know, I know this is unpopular. I know that a lot of churches don't even want to talk about this anymore. But it's something we have to talk about. Jesus talked about it. The apostles talked about it. It's talked about all through the Bible. And we've got to talk about it. Hebrews 9.27 the Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So, mankind as a whole, it's appointed unto them once to die. Now, I know there, there will be people that are alive and remain at the time of the rapture. I'm saying mankind as a whole, it's appointed unto them to die. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain. So there are will, the, again, mankind as a whole is going to pass. It's appointed unto them once to die. But there will be a, a remnant that are alive and remain, and they're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So it's going to be an eternal existence, but you're either going to die or you're going to go with the rapture. Now, obviously, there will be some that live into the millennial reign, some that go that are um, that will go before the Lord at the great white throne judgment. But regardless, you're either going to go by the way of the grave, or you're going to go by the way of a, a resurrection. Okay. So every person, again, you're either going to die or go by the way of the rapture. So, uh, or the, uh, the, you're going to be taken before the great white throne judgment if you live into the millennial reign. Some of those people. Now. For all of us, the question then becomes, what happens when I die? Well, many are uncertain, and they're fearful about their eternal destination. Some speculate that 
because they haven't, hey, I've never murdered anybody or I've never robbed any banks, then I'm a pretty good person and that's enough for me to get into heaven. I haven't just done any super bad thing. So I'm, you know, somehow or another, God's just and, and forgiving and merciful and so I'll, he'll, he'll allow me to go in. Here's the problem. Those people's own heart is deceiving them. According to the Bible, the human heart is the most deceiving thing there is. Go to uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. Romans 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, Everyone has turned away from God and done what they wanted to do. That's uh, Isaiah, it's over in Isaiah um, 53, 6. And also Ecclesiastes 7.20 says there, that there isn't anyone who hasn't sinned. Now you may not have done one of the quote-unquote big sins, but everybody's sinned. Everybody has, other than Jesus Christ, everybody has sinned. And so some people think, well, hey, I haven't done one of the big sins, so I'll make it in somehow. I don't have to, that's not even on my radar. It's party on till God comes. Well, we need, to, we need to kind of relook at that, okay? And I'll, I'll get to heaven and hell in just a minute, but I want to I help some people out right here really quick. God knew the sin problem must be dealt with because everybody had sinned, right? Sin from Adam and Eve separated us from God and sentenced all of us to die. But God didn't want us to be separated from Him and He did not want us to die. So God formulated a plan. He had a, he had a remedy. And the Bible says, Hebrews 2, uh, 14-15, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part in the same. God came and became a fleshly human being. That through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them, here it is, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. People were in bondage of their mind because they were afraid to die. But I want you, I want to show you how to get over the fear of death. Because I have personal friends that consider themselves born again, but they still live, live under a state of condemnation and they're afraid of dying because they haven't 100% settled what happens on the other side of that. So remember, sin separates us from God, but God can help us with that. Dave Robbins cannot help you with that. Your pastor cannot help you with that. But Almighty God, I can explain to you how God can help you with that. And that's very, very important. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled. Remember, sin separates us from God. But all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, 
and hath committed unto, uh, unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus Christ never sinned, but he was made sin. Our sins were imputed to him that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now I'm telling you, if you can get this concept ingrained in your fiber and really understand it, it can totally take away your fear of death. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to destroy him who through the fear of death had placed so many people in bondage their whole life. They've been in bondage because they, of, the, of the fear of death. Jesus Christ came to do away with that and destroy him that had the power of sin and death. So, very important principle, right? It's, it, this is a revolutionary teaching. When, when verse 17 says, we can become a new creature, does this literally mean Jesus Christ can turn a lost human being who had sinned, who was born in sin, shapen in iniquity, was a sinner? Can Jesus Christ turn that lost sinner, that human being, into a new person, a new creature? Absolutely, yes, it does. If we, if we don't believe that, then we're all wasting our time here. We might as well, this big old book called the Bible, we might as well throw that in the trash. If we don't believe, Almighty God can change a sinner and make them into a new creature, erase their past, and give them, give them a clean slate. If we don't believe that, we're all wasting our time here, right? But I absolutely do believe that, and I know that we are changing people's lives and preparing people for the second coming of Jesus Christ, or should they pass on prior to that, i.e. an Irvin Baxter or anybody else who's passed on, okay? Now, I have never been the same since the day I was born again. It's been a long time ago. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of this imagined um, pseudo-experience. It's not what I'm talking about. Some kind of made-up, uh, something that was in some fairy tale book. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a genuine spiritual experience that happened to me over 40 years ago. And it changed my life forever. It really did. I've never been the same. Before a true experience with Christ, people live a life of condemnation and guilt. But if you remember here in verse 18, it said that we can be reconciled to God. Sin separated us. I don't even want to go to church because the roof's, the roof's going to cave in. But the Bible says that we can be reconciled to God. And so what does the word reconciled mean? And we're going to get back into this on the other side of the break because you have to understand these principles. It's very important because once you get them, it can do away with the fear of death and then it can help you understand, hey, I do have an eternal existence, either in heaven or in hell, and I know where I'm going. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. 
These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. So that's the question right now. What does the word reconciled mean? Because if we cannot be reconciled or brought back together again with the Lord into this relationship that He's wanted us to have from the beginning, then what's the point in all of this, right? However, we can be reconciled to God. The, the Latin word concilio means to bring together, okay? The prefix re means again. So the word reconcile means to bring together again. Something separated us. All of us were separated from God by sin. But this scripture says we can be reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. Well, how does that work? Well, verse 19 says, God reconciled us to Himself by not imputing our trespasses to us. What does it mean when it says God will not impute our trespasses to us? The word impute or the principle of imputation means to place on the account of or to attribute to. The secret is that once we are in Christ, by being born again, God will no longer impute our trespasses to us and you say, well, that's not fair. Well, how could that possibly be? And, and I'm not talking about that once you're born again, you can just do whatever you want and be saved. That's not scriptural. The Bible says that he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And the, it means that if you're trying your best and you make a mistake, you just repent. Get up, stay on the straight and narrow way, and keep on going. And you can make it. But you've got to do your best. That's the key thing. You've got to be doing your best. If you just say, I don't want the Lord to rule my life. Yeah, I was born again, but forget that. I don't want Him to be the Lord of my life. I want to do what I want. It does not work then. Verse 21 explains it all. It says, For He hath made Him to sin for us. Our sins were imputed to Him who knew no sin, he had never sinned, that he might be made the righteousness, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus never sinned. 
but He loved us so much that He volunteered for our sins to be imputed to Him so that His righteousness could be imputed to us. And so I, I want to make it really simple here because this can, tr this can transform your walk with God. There is a law that ruled the human race from Adam until Christ. It's called the law of sin and death. It's defined, uh, Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, all sins are mine, as the, souls of the, uh, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So there it is. The soul that sins, it's got to die. It's a law. It is a law. It started with when Adam and Eve sinned. All of us lived under the law of sin and death. Every single person. However, God loved us and didn't want us to die. And therefore, He designed a plan to save us from the law of sin and death. God said, I will become a man and will be tempted like every other human being. However, I will not yield to those temptations. I'm going to live a sinless life. Consequently, I will not deserve to die because I'm not under the law of sin and death. He had never sinned. But I'm going to trick Satan into killing me anyway. And when Satan kills me, he will have broken the law of sin and death since only the soul that sins must die. I hope you're getting this principle. Once the law of sin and death is broken by Satan, then it will no longer be enforced. It becomes null and void. Well, in Romans 8, 1-2, it explains it this way. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here, listen closely. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So every human from, the, from Adam and Eve had to, was under the law of sin and death. But once you are in Christ Jesus, once you've been born again, I'm free from the law of sin and death. How do I get in Christ Jesus? You'd be born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night and, and said, Hey, we know you're a teacher come from God. No man can do the things that you're doing except he comes from God. And, and uh, Jesus said, Look, I'm just going to cut to the chase. He looked at Nicodemus and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Boom. Verse 5, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nicodemus, except a man is born of the water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say, Nicodemus, except a man's a billionaire or except uh, you've got this awesome, wonderful Harvard education. Although there's nothing wrong with those things, those things cannot get you in. It's not your economic status. It's not your, um, your um, celebrity status, your fame. None of that in God's eyes, that's not going to get you in. He told Nicodemus, except you're born again, you're not going to make it. That which is born of uh, flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Uh, in verse um, John 3, 7, it says, Marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. So the answer is simple. God robed himself in a human body at Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life and then chose to die in my place. In your place, everybody listen to me, in your place and in my place. 
that means I don't have to die. And, and I, I now have the wonderful gift of eternal life. And, and that's where uh, we'll begin our talk about the afterlife, heaven and hell. As long as I have obeyed the gospel and been born again, I have this wonderful promise. So now that we've handled the sin problem and the fear of death problem, then now let's discuss the two eternal destinations. Because again, a lot of people are scared out of their mind because if I die, what happens? But the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. He destroyed him that had the power of sin and death and so he could help those people out, so he could uh, make free those people who were bound all them life from the fear of death. So when we die, Ecclesiastes 12.7 says that our spirit returns to the Lord at death. At the point of death, some judgment takes place. We know this because Luke 16, 19 through 31, when the rich man died, he was tormented by the flame and Lazarus was said to be resting in the bosom of Abraham. I mean, Jesus tells the parable. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8 also teaches that if we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. So it is apparent that once we die, our body stays this physical body that you can pinch, and that stays in the ground, but our spirit either goes to be with the Lord or to hell. That's a parable Jesus taught. He didn't teach it because He needed some filler in the Bible. No, there was, there's plenty in the Bible. There's no filler in here. And so He taught that parable for a reason. There really is life after death an eternal, glorious life for those who love God, 1 Corinthians 2.9. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took the punishment that we deserved for our sins, Isaiah 53.5. And He proved Himself victorious over death by rising from the grave three days later. That's, we can look to that, a very documented experience, and we have a hope that in the future, if I go by way of the grave, I'm going to come out when I hear that trumpet sound. A promise of a resurrection. Thousands of witnesses saw Him, Jesus Christ, after His resurrection over a period of 40 days. And then He ascended into heaven. According to Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. I, I, I'm telling you, folks, we should be shouting right now. We should stop your car, get out, no, and run around. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying, think about this. You have a promise of eternal life because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary 2,000 years ago, the death, the burial, and resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the supreme proof of life after death. Just as Jesus' body was raised from the dead, many live in the hope that their bodies will also be transformed when Jesus returns. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. I am one of those that live in that hope, folks. However, everyone listen closely because I know a lot of people that believe this. Everyone does not 
automatically go to heaven. Each of us must make a choice that will determine our eternal destination. You say, no, no, wait, Dave. Hold on, hold on, Dave. That Jesus Christ came and died for us, so everybody's going to go. Oh, no. No, no. That's not anywhere in the Bible that everybody goes to heaven. We've got to rethink this. Only those that have prepared themselves, that have obeyed the gospel, they're the ones that will get to go. Now, again, I know that this is not a super popular message and that, you know, there are churches today that don't even want to talk about, they want to let everybody in. But that's not what the Bible says. Okay? The Bible does say, if you sin, you know, these shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And it gives a big long list of things. And so, go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. So, not everybody's going to make it. Jesus Christ came and died on Calvary to purchase a plan of salvation for those that would believe on Him and be born again. Now, the Bible says that we die only once, and after that will come the judgment. There is an eternal destination that is heaven, and there is an eternal destination in hell for those who reject Jesus as the Savior. You say, you know, Dave, I've heard about that my whole life, and I, I really don't know if I believe in a hell. Well, I'm going to go to the words of Jesus. Jesus taught a parable in Luke 16, 19 through 26. I, I referenced it earlier, but I want to make sure I read it to you. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. He fared sumptuously every day. He had anything he wanted. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the, just the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I mean, he was in a bad way. And the Bible says it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And the Bible says... In hell, he now Jesus is telling this. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So it's talking about on the other side of death, there's a place where you can be comforted or there's a place of torment. And again, not trying to be politically correct, not trying to be religiously correct, we're being biblically correct here today. And we need to talk about these things on this side so we make it right on the other side. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. Endtime is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, 
please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Now, I want you to think about this scenario here that Jesus is telling. Lazarus is comforted in Abraham's bosom. The rich man, Jesus said, went to hell. And the Bible says he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, this nasty, dirty beggar where the dogs were licking his sores, send him that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, if nobody's ever going to be tormented in the flame, why in the world would Jesus talk about this? I know there's a lot of people that like to discount that, oh, well, no, there's not, there's not going to be any place of torment. Well, uh, the Bible that I have says there will be. Jesus is telling this here, and he says, This man was tormented in the flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest the good things, and Lazarus to evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that we can't, uh, so that they would pass from where you are, they can't, neither can they pass to us that would come from where you're at. And Jesus prophesied after death of a place of rest and a place of torment. Every person on earth will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. Again, <clears throat> and I've got to tell you this because I've, I've, over the years, I'll be honest with you, I've got blowback from this. Oh, there's no place of hell. Listen to me. If you understand this Bible, okay, it teaches that there is a heaven and it teaches that there's a hell. And I know that, again, I know that there are churches today you'll never hear the word hell mentioned. And I don't think, I don't believe you should teach on hell or preach on hell every sermon. Come on. But understand what I'm saying here. Sometimes the Bible says some are saved by love, but others are saved by fear. The night I got saved, my father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, gave a message of hell. And it scared me so bad that I got up and went to an altar and I was born again. Had he not done that, thank God he did because he loved us. But he felt like God gave him a message of, you ever heard of the old hellfire brimstone preachers? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some of them people got people to go give their life to the Lord that you couldn't have moved them with a bulldozer. But because the message of hell got a hold of them one night, they made their way to an altar and gave their life to the Lord. Then they can establish a relationship with the Lord and establish a loving relationship. But I wasn't saved under those circumstances. I was saved under fear. There's nothing wrong. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the book of Jude, it says some are saved by love, some are saved by fear. Now, if you're listening and you don't believe in the Bible, okay, that's a whole other conversation 
that we should have in the future, okay? I'm I'm talking to people, I believe probably just about everybody that listens to us believes the Bible's the true Word of God. If you don't, email me, drobbins at endtime.com. We'll have a great conversation. But Matthew 25, 31 through 46, I want you to listen to this. Jesus is teaching here, and Matthew 24, 25, well, now we're into 25 here. And Matthew 25, 31, listen at this. Jesus said, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He's going to sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all the nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep and the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, uh, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then shall, and I'm, I'm going to jump to verse um, 41. Then shall he say unto them that are on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these shall go away into everlasting, that's uh, verse 46. These shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteousness into life eternal. So here, Jesus again talks about an eternal punishment and an eternal life. So if we talk about heaven, John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. I'm going to receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. I want Dave Robbins and Jana Robbins and all my kids and all of you guys to be included in that bunch. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's an eternal existence. And I'm not, you know, I can't answer every question. I'm not 100% sure what heaven will be like. I've never been there. It's probably much more than I could even dream of or imagine. But I'm going. I don't care what I have to do, what I got to change, how I got to live. Old Big Dave Robbins is going to heaven. And I want you guys to go with me. Ephesians 3, 20-21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. I want to be with Jesus and have him showing me all that stuff. 1 John 2, 25. And this is the promise that he hath made us, even eternal life. There is a heaven, and we should all make that our number one priority in the afterlife. But you got to prepare now. You got to be born again. You got to make sure you're living as a Christian. Almost the entire New Testament is devoted to showing you how to live as a Christian beyond the born again experience in the book of Acts. Almost from the book of Jude, I'm sorry, uh, from the book of Romans all the way to the book of Jude, is, uh, shows people how to live post the born-again experience. And then, of course, all of Jesus' 
um, life and teachings of Jesus Christ as well. It's t the, the majority of the New Testament is devoted to showing you how to live once you're born again. Now, that's preparing you for heaven. But Jesus Christ taught and preached on hell more than any other preacher or teacher in the Bible. Jesus Christ did. In, and I've read you some of his parables. Uh, you go to Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Same thing. I want to read to you uh, Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. This is right here at the very end. And this is where, this is it. This is the end of the human existence. This, we're, we're going off into eternity with the Lord. You're going to either going to be one or the other. Heaven or hell. If you, go in, if you go in the rapture, it's already set. You've already been judged and you have been, you're, you're, you're immortal at that point. You're going to be with the Lord forever. But the Bible says the rest of the dead live not again until the great white throne. I don't want to go to the great white throne. But in Revelation 20, starting with verse 11, John said, and in future events I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no place found for them. People tried to hide. Nah, there ain't going to be no place of hiding. Verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Think about, God opens the Bible, and He says, Okay, Dave Robbins, how did you line up to this book that I left you, this instruction manual? Did you align your life up with this book like I told you to do? I mean, this is what's going to happen. And the Bible says, As the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged according to every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever, let me just pause. Revelation 20, verse 15. The most important scripture I'll read today. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, that's for, for somebody who would not be have prepared themselves that is the most scariest thing I could read. I mean, think about this, everybody. Your name, he gets up there and he's reading the names off. And you stand before him and he says, I'm sorry, I don't see your name. Oh, man, I, I'm almost got a pit in my stomach. I'm sick to the pit of my stomach right now thinking about that. If, he ever, if, he, if I'm ever standing before him and he opens that book, I want my name on the front page highlighted. And he says, Dave Robbins. And I say, yes, Lord. And he says, you come on. You come on. You did it. I I'm telling you, there's nothing more important than that in my life. Nothing. Noth zero. I'm going to make it. And I want you to make it. That's what we're doing this for. Yes, I do love talking about the prophecies. I do love Israel and, and dealing with the, uh, the Jerusalem Prophecy College and the going on the tours and everything else. I love it all. I'm, I'm going to be on, uh, I'm speaking two hours tonight before a, a, a Capitol Hill prayer uh, meeting and I'm going to, I'll be on Jim Baker's Friday and I got a lot of things, I'm involved in all kinds of stuff. 
But the number one thing in my life is that me, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and every single person that ever listened to us on the radio, TV, that read, read our magazine, that went to Israel with us, that all these things that we were involved in, that when that trumpet sounds, you start to lift up. And we go to be with the Lord to a place that He has prepared us for. If that doesn't happen, we all wasted our time all these years, guys. But guess what? That's not going to happen. We're going. We are going to go. You're going to make it. I don't care if every one of you have to come. Now, I shouldn't say this, but I started to say, I don't care if every one of you have to, we all have to live in an end time building and we're all going to make it together. We don't need to do that. But I'm just saying, if that's what it takes, we're doing it. Folks, we're going to make this thing. We're going to be with the Lord in eternity. Hell is not an option. We're going to heaven. That's why I pray every day. That's why I'm seeking God's face. That's why I'm trying to be a spirit-led individual. That's why I'm aligning my life up to the Word of God. That's why we preach and teach the Be Born Again, endtime.com slash born again. Make yourself ready to meet the Lord. Get, be discipled by a, be a part of a great Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Get involved in this thing. And let's become evangelists for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's build His kingdom. And when that trumpet sounds, you're going to go. He's going to call your name. And man, won't that be a day when you hear that trumpet sound and man, your feet start leaving the ground. Oh my goodness. And I'll get to see my father-in-law and many loved ones that have went on before me that prepared themselves. The Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air. I'm going to get to go hug my father-in-law, Irvin Baxter, one more time. And I'm going to hug many of you that, uh, next that we have met over the years. And we're going to say, man, we made it. So we're going to go to heaven. That's the goal. Hell's not an option. And so, wow, we love you guys. And we're trying to all make it together. God bless.